I'm Alex Stone, former military service member and law enforcement officer, now CEO of Echelon Protected Services, one of the fastest growing private security firms on the West Coast. And this is Ride Along. where our guests and I witness firsthand the issues affecting our community. I believe our proven method of enacting meaningful change through compassion and understanding is the best way to make our streets a safer place and truly achieve security through community. I'm Juan Adams, MMA professional fighter, UFC vet, Fury vet, former champion, also an eighth grade science teacher, and a social emotional learning instructor as well. So today I'm super excited to go check out a ride along with Echelon. We're going to see what's happening in the streets of Portland and see if I can be of any service. Hey, welcome back to the Ride Along, Alex Stone, where we check out the streets of Portland and see what's really going on. Today's guest is Juan Adams. Juan, why don't you introduce yourself to the folks? All right. I, uh, I'm Juan Adams, a professional mixed martial artist. I fought in the UFC, Fury, PFL. I've uh, been pretty much everywhere. Also an eighth grade science teacher and um, a social emotional learning instructor. So Awesome. You know. Yeah, great, man. That's a lot of titles, huh? There's a lot yeah, of titles to have. <laughs> I love it. So here on the ride along, and we've been hanging out for the past couple of days, yeah. having a good time, right? Here in Portland, we we're, we're really focused on community transformation, right? right? We want to do things differently and have better results, right? That's kind of the motto of our company, and also Obsec Media Group, the company that produces the show. We're trying to give an insight into what's really going on in the streets, and um, we're actually friends through a new mutual friend. Right. Right. And um, and so we have a kind of a similar background as well. When I was in college, I was a bouncer for about five years in Houston, Texas. Um, I'm a smaller bouncer. I'm six foot. You know, I was bigger back then. Um, but usually they would put me on the door because I'm not six foot five. Right. 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 <laughs> and so but, um, you know, that's a very unique job within the security industry. And I think a lot of people watching here are, you know, they've been bouncers, they've done that type of work. And to see someone such as yourself that's gone from, you know, being a bouncer, an athlete, all th basically your entire school career, an athlete, and then working on the side as a bouncer and then going from that type of work into being a professional athlete and a professional fighter. I know a lot of people there out there have a lot of questions. I do. Um, when, you, when you have that level of, when you have a skill set, right that is a professional skill set and and you know i mean because of your size you're a heavyweight right right how how do you de-escalate how do you use that skill set knowing that you could pretty much handle anything that came your way right, right? how do you handle that skill set in a situation at a at a club or a bar when someone wants to fight you when you know that you really don't want to fight them because yeah. when i was a bouncer i didn't really want to fight right right I and mean, you don't want to really how do you handle that? How do you de-escalate that situation? Well, I mean, there, there's a lot of different ways we go about it. Like, uh, once I made it to the pro fighting, I wasn't really doing no, the balancing not. work yeah. anymore. But, like, 
when I was a, a bouncer in the nightclubs, I was always uh, the roamer, and then I was as head of security. I had to mm-hmm. just kind of watch all the bouncers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the best way to de-escalate is really just preventing it before it ever gets to that point. You know, my my thing was always, you know, uh, every bouncer was like, look, if there's an issue, offer to buy the guy a drink first. Yeah. Or offer to do Great. something like that or try and separate the two. Like, if you see two people kind of... You can yeah. see it. You can yeah, see you it can, happening. You can, you can see it happening before. Too, you can feel the yeah. tension rising. Yeah. Um, so at the club I worked at, there were three floors. I was like, hey, man. Um, That's a big job. Yeah, normally normally we charge to get people up on the second floor, but why don't you and your girl go check that out real quick? Uh, you know, it's on me. I'll buy you guys your little first VIP drink. Pass, yeah. little VIP pass. Yeah, action. like, yeah, so nice, I'll get, yeah, get them yeah. stamped up, get them up yeah, there. And yeah. normally, like, that'll, oh, yeah. that'll de-escalate yeah. a lot of it. The other thing is, like, hey, um... Just making sure you're all right, everything good tonight, you know, everything going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, nah, like my, my girl tripping. I'm like, well, you know what? Why don't y'all two get a couple of drinks, go take it to the patio, yeah. y'all talk it out, do something else, but we're not really trying to have any problems here tonight. So that's really great. So you're you're building more self-worth. You're making them feel appreciated, right? special because you're giving them privileges. Exactly. So you're building agency and, and worth. Yeah. into those individuals kind of feeding the ego a little bit right but at the same time the e- their ego is not out of getting out of control because you're also putting them in check right because you're security. letting them know we know yeah we yeah, know what's exactly. going on yeah. here i'm not trying to have so it's you're you're keeping them humble right. but you're building their worth at the same time and that's that, exactly. that power dynamic right exactly yeah when when issues do occur and you have to use force how do you how do you measure what force to use do you if, you know for i've seen a lot of guys especially in even fighting right you can't overthrow you cannot overextend right right you have to know when how much force to use with the movements that you're choosing right, right. whether it's a counter or whether you're striking whether it's a, it's, it's a takedown right. and so how how did you come to develop that skill set knowing um, how to use force Knowing when and where and how much force something would use. I mean, I teach science, so I, you know, yeah, I know a lot right. of physics. <laughs> uh, but the biggest thing is, you know, looking at someone, I can tell, like, one, if they really want to fight or if they're just doing it for ego. And, you know, if they're just doing it for yeah. ego, nine times out of ten, I can de-escalate it by just showing them that I can overpower you whenever I want to. Yeah, the yeah. biggest thing, uh, my favorite thing to do, I'll pick people up under the arms like you do a baby and just, <laughs> yeah. like, lift them and then shake yeah. them a little bit and put them down like, look, all right, no harm, no foul. Like, you can stop now or this can keep <laughs> going. And then uh, the worst thing I would do usually is uh, just, like, an open hand slap just to – because, like, in an open hand slap, it's like you're either going to go home or we're going to fight. And most people – It's pretty embarrassing. Don't want to fight me, so they're yeah. just going to go home anyway. Yeah. Or if someone's mm-hmm. in shock, yeah. you can bring it back to their senses. Right, yeah. exactly. And – that's another thing. So many people are in a heightened state of um, arousal. Not like sexual, but uh, we use the term arousal. It's like any type of heightened emotional yeah, state. Yeah. And you can just kind of calm them down or sometimes some as little as reassuring. Like, I can calm you down by putting my hand on your shoulder and just squeezing tightly, like letting you know, yeah, like, yeah. hey, you're not going anywhere. And if they respond to that negatively, then you know you have to elevate the mm-hmm. force. But you always, I always started lower and would amp up. But I'm, that's because I'm large. You know, a smaller yeah, yeah. guy has to kind of start higher and bring it mm-hmm. down. And, you know, sometimes that's just guiding him out, grabbing him around the waist, like walking him outside. And then from there, if it gets violent, now I've done two things. I've removed you from other people. 
so they can't That's get right. hurt. Yeah, you're right? in timeout. And two, you're already outside. So mm -hmm. now it's like, hey, man, if you want to go back in, I'm going to need you to calm down out here for a few minutes. Just relax. We're not kicking you out just yet. But if you want to, if you don't calm down, if you can't get yeah. back to your senses, I'm not going to let you back in here. Yeah. And they're already outside at that point. So I'm asking these questions because when, when we're doing security, you know, when we're um, engaged in our job out on the street, it's important, you know, in law enforcement, I'm prior law enforcement, but also in security to be able to know how to use force. Right. Right. And it's just amazing how, you, I mean, basically what you described and, and the choices that you make and how to use force and the skill set that you have in a basically you're 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 saying hey i'm the authority right but here's a privilege here's 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 uh you know a couple of things to make you feel better make you feel special right, right. these negotiating tactics it is really great at de-escalation yeah and something that we try to do in our company and something that we try to train our employees on is this skill set yeah and it's really a skill set that i actually learned as a bouncer right that i brought into law enforcement with me I would see a lot of a lot of um, cops in law enforcement. When I worked in law enforcement, they would lose their temper very easily, yeah. get upset because someone wouldn't follow their commands. And I thought, well, you haven't built any trust yet. You don't even have a. You're 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 expecting someone to listen to you because you have a uniform on. Right. But but they don't respect you. Exactly. And you're acting. You're not acting in a respectful way either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? And the, it's a two-way street. It is a two-way street. A lot of people don't understand. Yeah, that. and well, and a two, and you, it should be. A, it's it, it actually works better when it's a two-way street. Right, because you take it from being combative to corresponding at that point. Exactly, it's a cooperative exercise instead of something combative. Oh, I love that. It, it is. It's a cooperative yeah. exercise. It's almost mm -hmm. like a sparring session. Exactly. Where mm -hmm. no, you're. This is this is to to better and develop everybody. This, right. We're not really trying to be combative here. Exactly. Right. And so in, in getting that cooperation on a street level, it takes this type of skill set. And so um, I, I'm just interested in your insights. So, uh, it, you know, it's very it's not very common that you get to talk to a professional fighter. Right. That has this background. So so trying to just jumping a little bit forward into your career. Right. right? So you're in the ring and now you're in a situation where you can't deescalate. Right. There is no deescalation, but there's still mind games. How, how do you, when it comes to a fight strategy, when you're going into a ring, when you know you have an opponent that you have to fight and you're developing a fight strategy, what part of that is knowing how to control your behavior in order to get your opponent to present a weakness? Right. The biggest thing uh, with that is, you know, my, my coaches watch most of the film. Uh, in terms of the psychological aspect of it, you know, there's a certain way uh, you carry yourself and, and things like that to always emanate confidence. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to make it be known that you're not worried about anything. This fight is about what I'm going to do to you, not necessarily what you're going to do to me. Yeah. And yeah. obviously, it, it, as soon as the fight starts, a lot of that goes out. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. But um, in a fight, you know, my goal, it's funny, at different points in my career, my goal was different. You know, when I first started fighting, it was uh, just a release for me. I was dealing with so much. Like, really? that was the only time I got to feel something. So I didn't care about strategy. And this is in what, middle school, high school? Uh, no, um, this was uh, my first, like, my all my amateur fights. And I would okay, say even okay. up until, like, my first three or four pro fights, I was just 
trying to go like you know vent everything out there so you were bringing your emotions into the room. right and then that started to have a detrimental effect later on but mm. in terms of fight strategy like i know what my strengths are so i want yeah, to do yeah. everything i can to maximize my strengths and then once i'm in a dominant position i want to assert that this guy can't do anything yeah. here right so that's going to do one of two things he's either going to amp him up to like force that panic and he's going to yeah, tire yeah. himself out and the next round I'll, I'll end it. Or, you know, he'll give up and you can feel when someone gives yeah, up. You can see fight, it in their eyes. Right. You can, their, yeah. their body, like their whole body just kind of relaxes a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of when you know yeah. it's over. And me, like once I know it's over, I'm not really trying to hit you too hard. So I'm, I'm just going to keep tapping until the ref stops it. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, now my manager and coach are like, no, you need to be violent the entire way through. Oh, really? Make it stop. They're, wow, they're wow, like, wow, that'll wow. make it stop fast. It'll be, st yeah. But you also have to understand, like, the way they broke it down to me is that that guy's coming in there trying to give you brain damage, yeah. right? You have to incapacitate him any way you can. So that's kind of the, the yeah. mindset that goes that's into That's a legit it mindset. Right. And I would say that's the majority of the people, that's the majority that attack mindset is the majority mindset for people that are in the kind of protective trades, these right. law enforcement trades, security industry, executive protection trades. Exactly. Because if someone's attacking you, they're a clear and present threat. Exactly. They're a legit threat. Um, wow. So and something else, uh, you know, kind of, and it ties back into this. So you sometimes you, when you were younger, you're coming out of college, you, you, you've wrestled and you, that's your background. Right. right? Uh, Virginia Military Institute VMI and you're you're starting to do amateur fights professional fights your emotions are getting a little making you a little clouded right? right at what point are you able to put your ego in check and when you keep your ego in check how clear-minded are you how does that translate to being able to fight better in the in the octagon or the ring it's different because uh when your ego's in check you know you're kind of more so in a, in a flow state right yeah. uh, when you're fighting now sometimes that can come off as too passive and you're not allowing emotional too zen yeah and you're yeah. not allowing any emotional content and yeah. that's happened in some fights where i just couldn't go like you know i know all the moves i'm telling i'm thinking but i'm more in the problem solving state as opposed to the flow state at that point got you got you i'm just thinking about what i'm trying to do and there's an inherent delay when you do that yeah of course yeah, Whereas, yeah. even if it's a sub second right but that when delay you're will get you. when you're in that ego mindset like that's the time where you know you get punched in the face you get rocked and game plan goes out the window and you're just reverting back to like all right i'm i'm gonna go back yeah, now, yeah, yeah. right and that's really hard to manage because um for me, like, I've never really been out. Like, I've never been knocked out out. I've had a flash KO in the ring or in the cage before. But even when I'm going down or slowed or injured, yeah, I, yeah. I still want to just keep going. And that's yeah, where, yeah. that's my ego right there saying, like, no, we're going to keep going. Like, we're not dead yet. Keep yeah, going, yeah, keep yeah. going, keep going. And that's when, you know, that's why the refs are there to protect us yeah. from ourselves sometimes, right? Um, Interesting. So on the streets... Um, you know, I've been in several altercations in law enforcement and security, and there is no ref. Right. Right. And so it's, what I've noticed is in my life and in, in, in the lives of people that I work with, ego will almost always lose, lose you the fight. 
Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Almost always. And for me, it's it was always it was something personal. There's two or three things that really really pricked my ego really bad. Right. Right. Mom, mom the mom joke thing. I yeah. Know, right. I don't know. Right. But there's always a couple of little things. And so um, whenever, whenever I was able to control that, I was able to control how I, how I feel like I would approach, I can, I, I'll say it this way with less ego. I, I notice people's weaknesses more. Right. And I was more aware of my strategy developed because I could see the weakness in my opponent. Well, a lot my of ego times, wasn't taking over. And right. yeah, when your ego takes over, a lot of people don't realize the. Your ego is there to protect you, right? Mm. Psychologically and physically. And when you're in that ego mode, you're in survival mode, you're perceiving everything as a threat. So you're not necessarily in an observer mindset. Yeah. When you check your ego and remove it, one, you've done something called awareness and you're self-observant, mm -hmm. which automatically puts you in an observant frame of mind. Yeah, yeah, of and course, you can yeah. start to notice and perceive yeah, things yeah. around you a little bit better. And that's why it's easier to, you know, pick up strategies and things mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. that. You know, I know when I go out in the street now, like in my mind, like this, the ego talking is like nobody's yeah. going to step to me yeah. in the right state of mind. So that threat is gone. And so when I go, I'm not looking for threats, mm -hmm. but I also notice people, I notice their mannerisms, their behaviors more. Yeah, you and like, you're, you're cluing in on the behaviors more right. easily. And so if right, people yeah. come in or, or try something there, like I already know what I'm going to do to you if we fight, but I don't want it to get to that point now. Mm -hmm. But I'm always extremely observant. And now, like before when I would get into street fights, you know, before I was as trained yeah, as yeah, when yeah. it was just wrestling, you know, I'm taking you down, I'm smashing you. Like I was, you know, breaking people's jaws and stuff out in the street. Whereas now, like two or three movements and I can completely incapacitate yeah, of course, you yeah, yeah. make you think if this is something you really want to do. Yeah. And if you want to continue it, like I'm glad to oblige, but nine more often than not, people don't want to continue it mm -hmm. at that point. Yeah. So uh, kind of back to this ego thing. I don't, I, I don't know why I'm stuck on this, but I've, I've just always seen when the ego is hurt, too much force is used. Yeah. Especially in, in art trades. Like, you, there's only a legal when you're out when you're not in a ring when you're not competing professionally when you, you know you have to use a legal amount of force right, right. and this is what we were talking i'm going back to the conversation earlier where you said i like to start at a certain level and then choose from there and kind of go up or down or you know to choose different tactics based on the dynamic and as the dynamic changes right. and so what would you give as as advice to people that are in the field that unfortunately have to protect themselves. Cause mm -hmm. you know, we deal with dangerous people. We drill, we're dealing with criminal gangs, um, people that are involved in criminal activities that are willing to use force to protect those activities. Right. Right. If you were, if you were going to tell someone in this industry how to protect themselves and to, and to be aware, what, what are the two or three things that you think they need to know? I think first and foremost, what you guys need to know is um, there's a way to kind of have a mental checklist, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't like to use the word triggers, but when somebody checks certain boxes in this mental checklist, yeah, that's yeah. the first way to remove ego from it. Because from there, by shifting that into having the checklist, you're already shifting into an observer state of mind. 
So you have to be, you have to have awareness mm -hmm. to have a checklist. Right. So have the awareness, have a checklist of, of your own triggers. Right. Well, your own triggers. Trigger. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And on top that's of that, really like, that's really good. That's really good. Looking yeah. out, like, so once you remove your triggers from it, you know, you're in a, uh, you're in a regulated state at that point. So then as you move forward, you're looking at the situation and you can say, okay, this person's done this behavior, this behavior, this behavior. You're starting to get an idea of the amount of force that you would need to use. If yeah. they're coming forward, it's like, okay, they appear to have this weapon, that weapon, or whatever. You know, there are certain things you can do. And there's a way, like, you can always, within reason, there's some things where you can always reel the force back as opposed, mm -hmm. and then there's other ways where you can only amp it up, right? So if something, something was like coming forward to me or something like that, and I have a weapon on me, I know I've got, you know, I've got the ultimate trump card. I can shoot you and end this right now. Yeah. Um, if I've got a taser or some other type of disarming thing, and they're coming forward and they don't appear to be menacing or they don't appear anything, but, you know, something might be off. I don't know if they have this. If they're already committing something illegal, and they're coming for me, that can be viewed as an aggressive act. Okay, well, I'm gonna tase you first and ask questions later, right? That's not lethal. It's obviously probably more force than you probably needed to yeah. do. And cops get in trouble all the time. They, they for get in trouble too for much force. Right? So now it's um, in a line like that, you have to really make the decision and go in there with the intention of like, I don't wanna take a life right now, Correct, right? Yeah. Uh, always, and, yeah. So if you're going in with that intention and you tell yourself beforehand, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to take a life, I don't want to use force. If you go in with that mentality, you're going to do everything in your power to not use any yeah. force. And then when you do use force, you're already kind of putting a limiter on it. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, you know, one, having an awareness of that checklist before anything. I know when I was working in the clubs, it's a much smaller scale. I would say, okay. Before I would go in, I was like, I'm not going to hit anybody tonight. You know, I, that's what I would tell myself. I was like, I'm not going to hit anyone tonight. Yeah. So literally at that point, it becomes like a challenge to myself to avoid any type yeah, of situation. Yeah. That, and it taught me how to problem solve in other ways. Now, like, there's days more like anyone else. I'm human. I'm having a bad mood. <laughs> I'm like, all right, yeah. shit pops off tonight. Like, first thing I'm doing, I'm clocking somebody. I'm not dealing with any of this BS tonight. But... Through that, like people could sense, like when I would walk in, I'm not social. I'm not talking anymore. Yeah, of I'm, course. My mouth's yeah. closed. I'm looking at you. I'm walking up and down the stairs. That's all no that. smiles. Yeah, and but at that point, <laughs> we people like the know, one that smiles. Yeah, and then well, at that point, people <laughs> were like, oh, well, you know, if that's what's going around and that's what's coming towards me, if I mess up, I'm less inclined to screw up now. Yeah. So there's different ways to do it, everything, and then you can read read energy and stuff like mm -hmm. that, but. Back to your question, if if I were a police officer or interacting with, you know, potentially dangerous mm -hmm. people, I would have a mental checklist and try and revert back to that checklist every time yeah. to yeah. prevent that. Now, obviously, mm -hmm. these are happening in a split second. It's hard. So I think it starts. With, it's very you know, difficult. It I think it yeah. starts with, you know, training, um, you know, with social emotional work, I think everyone should have to know themselves before they're going out to interact mm -hmm. with other people. It's really hard to and do. To, and to know, and you know, unfortunately, a lot of people in this industry don't make a lot of money. Right. And you really have to know your own emotional state. And if you can actually handle going on patrol. Right. 
you really and you really have to know when to take a mental health day. Yeah. It's probably one of those industries where it's you really need to know when you need to do that. Right. Um, you know, get in a fight with your girlfriend or spouse yeah. or something like this, right? Well, even with teaching, it, it's hard sometimes because, you know, those kids, they really look up to you. They really, yeah, that, like, and sometimes you're the most consistent thing in their life. And you're teaching, you teach high schools. Uh, uh, science? Eighth grade. Eighth, eighth grade, grade, grade science. Eighth grade science, yeah. yeah. So knowing that, you know, I might be the most consistent thing in this kid's life. If I show up here and I allow external things to affect me That's and right. I take it out on this person, one, I'm teaching them to take it out on people that they are in a position of power over. Yeah. And then two, I'm teaching them dysregulation in everyday life. That's right. So, Which is really the main problem in classrooms is dysregulation yeah. and power dynamics, bullying. Exactly. And so if, if, you, if, yeah, if that teacher or educator comes in with that mindset, just at, once or twice a week, not even the majority of the time. It, it, I could I could imagine that that would be very difficult to maintain a trusting relationship with that classroom. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's almost impossible. Yeah, so, I mean, and for so. me, I mean, there were times at work, even when on my worst days, you know, I would have to use my little three-minute break between classes to just do some breathing exercises, regulate everything, use my one-hour off class yeah. to go take a walk, you know, process everything, write it out, do all this stuff wow. and being highly aware of it because, um, you know, I don't want to allow something like, you know, a bad fight, uh, you know, a fight with, you know, whoever I'm seeing at the time. Mm -hmm. I don't want to allow that to impact the children that I work with yeah, because they're not responsible for it. That's on me. And because I was being irresponsible with my emotions, mm -hmm. now other people are suffering and that's not something I can live with. Of course, yeah, and so that's making the, that's on the checklist, right? Yeah, your emotional state, your triggers, knowing those things. So we're going to go on patrol here in a little bit, and uh, before we do that, we're going to do a training session. Yeah, for sure. I got a couple guys um, that work for me, big jujitsu guys. One is a former MMA guy, and um, they're really excited to you know, yeah. hit the mats with you and do a little bit of demonstrative um, training to some of the employees at the company. And so, and, 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 and again, you know, I, I want to stress that the point isn't to use force, right? It's right. never to use force. You yeah. know, force is a tool that we use to stop other people from being injured. Right. right? So when we're out in the field, the, you know, force is used to stop someone from attacking somebody else almost always. Right. Right. And so what are some techniques that you think you'll be focusing on in that teaching environment? I think I'll be focusing a lot more on like mobility restriction, you know, various oh, forms good. to restrict yeah. mobility. Um, like escorts. Yeah, different escorts, yeah. things like the that. Huge, huge in uh, a bouncing. Yeah, escorts are really big in bouncing. Yeah. And then uh, obviously protective movements, right? Yeah. Um, Shield, yeah. Shielding your Shielding different yeah. parts of your body. And there's ways to protect yourself that actually like will harm whoever's trying to strike you. So we'll go a little bit over that. Oh, nice. Okay. And just do a little things like that. Knowing how to use like the harder parts of your body mm -hmm. to protect yourself from other things. And then also where to where are safe places yeah. to attack somebody that will incapacitate them without causing serious energy. I love it, injury. man. Yeah. That's going to be, it's exciting. So I'm really interested in this teaching job you have right. so you're a professional fighter you've been fighting and you know you, you talked about this a lot even when we've just been hanging out right, right. the past couple of days you're really passionate about teaching 
and, right. and youth. So what what was the drive? What brought you there? What was the drive to get you to that point? Um, well, you know, what really drew me to teaching is um, I've been working with kids since, you know, I was a kid myself. You know, even at 16, I was babysitting my coach's kids. I was running youth camps. Yeah. In college, um, I was really involved with the youth opportunities. Uh, I did character count stuff out in the community. Oh, really? Wow. And this is in Houston? Uh, no, this is at VMI. Oh, so when uh, you went yeah. to college. Right. And okay. then when I moved back to Houston after college, I was right into coaching, mm -hmm. right? Um, coached, You've always been an overperformer in your life. Right. right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. You went to probably the, the best. You got a scholarship to go to probably the best high school in Houston, straight right. Jesuit. We're yeah. both from age, from the age. Yeah, we're from both from Houston. From age. And and then you went to a very prestigious college. I mean, and so while you're, and this just speaks to the lack of ego that you have. Right. Like you're outperforming all your peers, right. but you're still taking time to mentor and help children. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, it was. It not, was that, fun. That's not a common thing. Yeah. So. And I just, I mean, I've always just loved uh, helping people, you right. know, even Strake's motto was be a man for others, uh, right. an Eagle Scout, um, you know, we have to you're do an Eagle Scout. Service. Yeah, we have to wow. do a community service. And you're project. not married yet, huh? No, let's put a ring no, on that finger. nobody <laughs> yet, nobody yet. And Eagle so, Scout, okay. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, but during all this stuff, um, you know, when I took a break from fighting, when, when I was released from the UFC, I started working uh in behavioral health, um, mm. you know, which is trauma-informed care, yeah. various jobs in that. And then from there, I kind of felt like, well, you know, if teaching is an option, I like to go see what I can do. And um, there's a way you can get a provisional license to teach for two years and then nice. finish it up and mm -hmm. transfer it into a real license. And what I realized is that, you know, a lot of people think that my athletic ability is what got me to where I am, but that would have never had a chance to shine if it wasn't for the educational opportunities oh, that I was granted. And yeah. education. You can't just be a great athlete or straight Jesuit. Right. That doesn't fly there. And so I had some really amazing yeah. teachers throughout my life really, you know, just foster a curiosity for learning. Mm. Uh, they weren't so concerned with telling me what to think, but more so how to think and guiding my thought process mm. and helping me really you know, mold me into who I am today. Yeah, creating a, an ex, an idea of exploration exactly. that you can just explore your surroundings and have a sense of wonderment, right? Right. Yeah. And um, looking back, you know, science is really what really just sparked everything for me. And your your um, degrees in computer science. Yeah, actually. my degrees in computer science. <laughs> and my minor was in exercise science. Yeah. So. Um, now going back, like when I started teaching, I knew I wanted to really teach science. I was really mm -hmm. passionate mm -hmm. about that. I knew that because I can apply science to almost anything. Yeah. And um, working with that, you know, seeing the difference that it's made and, you know, in just the short time I've been doing it, and some of the kids that I've worked with, even in behavioral health, I always really am implemented more of a teaching and guidance strategy towards mm. my interactions with clients and um, later on students. So I just showing them that, you know, somebody cares, somebody's yeah. here, you know, yeah. in my classroom, you're safe. I'm not going to let anyone get away with, you know, bullying you in here, That's awesome, you know, man. so That's great. it's, I uh, just really provide a very safe environment. And I'm sure when they you, really look up to you as well. Yeah. And when you get kids yeah. out of survival mode, man, when, when they're not thinking about, all the extra stuff, all the social yeah, dynamics yeah. and things like that in class, it really allows them to focus on the subject matter 
And some of them will realize, wow, I'm really far behind. And then they want to get better. And then some of them, you have to have a few real conversations with yeah, them yeah. about the, the consequences of the decisions they're making now. Mm-hmm. And being able to mentor kids in that way and help guide them towards seeing more for their future than they see currently has really been, been huge for me. And it also... That's amazing. New Mexico, I don't know if anyone knows, but they're 50... They're dead last in the country uh, yeah, yeah. this last yeah. year. So. Like 48th maybe or 45th? Uh, we were or, 50th uh, last oh, year. So wow. we, uh, it's Mississippi, Alabama, So this is like for state <laughs> testing scores. Right, oh, for wow, state that's, testing scores. But and you chose to teach there in Albuquerque? I just felt kind we of have called an to there. do we're, it, yeah. My company <laughs> operates in like six states, and that's we're in New Mexico. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a tough environment. It is. It, it especially is. for kids, uh, there's a lot of gang recruitment going on. Right. And and so keeping kids on the straight and narrow as a parent, a single parent, I'm sure is very difficult in that city. Yeah. Yeah. It can be. And, you know, it, it's weird. I didn't know it was as bad. The education system was uh, in the state it was when I started doing it. But, wow. uh, you know, I felt that it's something that, you know, I can do my best to help impact in, in a positive way. And, this past year, uh, shout out to my eighth graders. They got 60% of them passed the state oh, test. Oh, good job. So, um, and where is that in comparison to normal levels? Uh, I believe uh, in New Mexico, uh, the last time I checked, the numbers for the state were between 30 and 40%. Well, so, so almost like an 80% increase. Almost uh, double. Yeah, for, for my students uh, oh, for that amazing. year. Well, so. good job, man. Yeah, that I'm just shows your character and your abilities to teach. Yeah, it's yeah, fantastic. I was pretty happy about so it. So I know, I know you got a lot going on. What's going on? I, this, I'm really happy to hear about all your future stuff, but with, with teaching, what's going on in your life right now? You're still taking fights. Yeah. Still You're still training around. hard. Yep. Right. Um, you're walking around roughly at a, at a fight weight. Right. Right. So I, about I can tell 20 you, pounds ahead, yeah. 20 pounds above fight weight. Yep. So I can tell that you're training. Um, what's the, what's the future of one Adams? Uh, you know, right now the future for one Adams, I'm finishing up my social emotional learning certification. So I'll be offering coaching nice. and training in that. Uh, I've got my YouTube channel, cracking cares. Um, cracking's my fight name. So K-R-A-K-E-N cares. Cracking cares. Yep. Cracking cares. And the Kraken. um, on top of that, just finishing up my teaching certification, uh, looking for sponsorship opportunities and really just trying to help the gym that I train at really grow. Our you want to give them a shout out? Where's this? Oh uh, yeah. Jackson Wink MMA in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Awesome, we, just, yeah. we just launched an app and everything. Things are growing. Um, I do. Offer, can anyone come there and it's a fight gym or can anyone go in there and train? Uh, it's really more geared towards fighting, but there are classes that anyone can take. There, Entry level so. classes. Right. And uh, so that's if you're in Albuquerke and you want to learn towards. how to fight with professionals, they should check this place out. Definitely. Good, definitely. Okay. And uh, yeah. I'm also I've partnered with uh, Impact IO. It's an app yep. where I yeah. do personalized uh, coaching. So. It's a really cool app. People can send in a video of them training. I'll evaluate oh, it. Oh, I love that. I'll find someone that emulates their style or something. That I feel so ground, grappling, striking. Right. Really? Really? Yeah, and we have a panel of coaches. You go on there, you pick your coach, that. you send in a video. We give you video feedback, athletes to watch, and yeah, drills yeah. that we think will help you. And, um, you know, oh, we do, great, yeah, guys that work with me, <laughs> they, get, they get some life coaching in there, too. So that's it's awesome, fun. bro. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I, of yeah. course, man, I can tell that that's what your passion is. Yeah. It's great, man. So, yeah, that, that's it for me. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, thanks for coming into the studio today. For sure. The work has just begun. 
Oh yeah, I'm yeah. excited. I'm we're excited. gonna go train on some mats, and then we're gonna hit the ride along. We're gonna go ride along, and sure. we're gonna go see. We're gonna ask you to put your skills uh, to the test. Okay, on, on the right. streets of Portland, Oregon. You ready for this? Yeah, dude. I'm All excited. Right, bro, let's go. Let's go. are coming out um, we're gonna be training today with Eric Prindle obviously Eric's been in and out of the MMA game he's a, a, a you know army ranger very highly skilled individual we also have Juan Adams here today he's a professional fighter and we're just gonna go over very simple defensive tactics that you could use in the field sounds good all right sounds good to me. let's see what you got your elbow towards it if anything but you want to keep it here you want to keep a strong base like the ideal when you watch a boxer you're always defending here so keep that in mind squeezing that anytime you squeeze you're squeezing from here don't curl this and don't reach out you want to keep this flat elbows together and if anything reach that way can we do you mind if I say something yeah so defending a defending a punch is sometimes enough to make your attacker stop punching you. So what you're really doing is you're just letting them waste all their energy on you, right? And as they're wasting their energy on you, they're gonna realize it's what they're doing is not effective. And so that alone will often make them not attack you or maybe if you, cause you're, uh, cause you represent authority, they might just run away. Ready? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Good job, Linda. And also, your hips is typically your point of balance, right? So your hips, you know, your hips go down, you're going down. Your hips go up, you're more off balance and easier to move. So if I'm grabbing his hip right here, right? Even if he's got me, if I'm on his hip right here, I can lift and make him follow me more, or I can lower it and make him follow me, right? So it's just easier to guide someone when you have control of that hip. So yeah, if he's coming towards me and he puts his hand out, I'm just coming, grabbing this, I'm pushing it across. And don't, most people think you're pulling this in. No, I'm guiding it, his bicep to where this hand can grab. And I'm not grabbing up in here, because he's strong. Yeah. He's a strong dude. Yeah. You want to grab right above the elbow, right? And as he does that, I'm stepping out. Now my next step, I'm bringing forward, right? Now I'm right here and all I have to do is turn and grab his hip. Okay, now no matter how he fights that, I'm gonna keep trying to cut this angle and stay behind him, right? Now if he buckles down right here, I'm just gonna push in, keep my hips. Now if he stands up, right, I'm staying in right here, but I'm keeping my hips, right? I want my hips below his at all times. Get up, right? You're gonna plant with this. Protect yourself forward. You're gonna raise up a little bit. And if someone's in here, they always teach us you kick first and then step, 
to raise up, right? Pretty simple. The real key to this is this motion right here, right? A lot of people try and do this without getting that hip lift. The best way I can tell you to do it, um, I don't know how many of you break dance or anything in here, but you need just total body tension right here. I'm straightening this leg. This is the leg that I have to flex. I can't leave it limp and just raise that up. I'm lifting this, I'm keeping it at, at one angle. This is locked out, I'm blocking here, and then I'm pushing with this leg and stepping out. And wh why, why is this bad? Why? So if I'm, if I'm right here, right, and I just want to roll up and get up like this, what's, what's gonna happen to me? Take your back. Boom. And you can push my hips any way you want. Yeah. I'm literally giving you my, my, the center of my mass, right? So he can take me, he can roll me, boom, and then he's going to pin me and I'm down, right. right? And so that's when you got to learn to shrimp and do all that stuff. But what he did was he, you're getting up in a way where you can defend yourself as you're getting up and you're not giving your center of gravity. You're keeping your center of gravity low so that your enemy can't take it. Right. right? I'm, not, I'm always keeping... They always teach us you want three points of contact, right? So if I'm down like this, whatever leg I'm doing, I'm gonna do it with the other leg this time. This is point one, this is point two, right? And then I'm pushing here, right? And then I'm trying to get this to become the third point as quickly as possible. So right now I have three points. So my butt, my foot, and my hand. I'm blocking here. Now I raise up and I have to elevate this to become the third point as quickly as possible. I'm right back here. Yeah. If Alex is on me right here, right, and I'm here. I'm actually going to push him up. Yeah, so he's going to actually put, as soon as I elevate here, I'm he starts go for pushing his into me. All right. Right there. And so right. I'm actually, with that stiff arm, you're, you're gaining the opponent's momentum and using it to push you up. Don't, don't like cower behind yeah. it and just know I'm here and then once I'm up, I'm in a stand. Yeah. Right? Get down, getting, getting up once Yeah, once someone's on top of you, the biggest thing is you gotta free your hips, man. Like if your hips are locked out, you don't ever want to be locked out on the ground. Right? Uh, in jujitsu, they teach you like that's where all the submissions happen. Their, their whole point, your opponent's point is to lock something out and lock that joint out. So you want to be compact and able to move at any time. So when I'm on the ground, even if I can't do the stand-up we just did, I'm trying to keep my knees bent so I can rotate onto something to explode out. But I can't explode stiff legs from anywhere, right? So you want your hips to be mobile. You gotta free your hips first. Keep your legs bent so you can explode, so you can move on the bottom. The second you're locked out, you're screwed. My bread and brother, when someone has side control on me, the first thing I'm doing, I'm framing on the neck, right? Because that's going to stop him from being able to pressure me as much as he can. The next thing, I need to get my elbow inside of his knee over here. So now as he's trying to close or create distance, right, my elbow's inside of his knee. Now that he's fighting that... Don't, don't, box, don't react right yeah. now. Just so now that he's fighting that, I'm pushing on this frame and shrimping. So my knee's inside of his, right? And now as he tries to put pressure on me, right? Now I'm going underneath, I've got this underhook, right? So I'm blocking this knee so we can't close distance. I've done enough to create space and I'm bent. I can explode now. So now as he pushes into me, all right? 
Now I'm up on my elbow. I've got my head pressure, and I'm out right there. Right, now you're gonna rotate onto this elbow. Onto that elbow. Now, swim it all the way through and pull, right? Right. See, so you use your hand and you push off of here, but here, let me, let me get underneath you real quick. Your idea is you wanna pull. So you're here, right, you're here, right? And you're gonna push up, and then you're going to take your arm like this, and then you're going to act, you're gonna actually use your lat right here to push like that. You're not, you don't wanna push off of them. You actually wanna rotate like that. Oh. You'll get a lot more, you got two, three times more energy to do that. So you're going, you're going like that. Does that make sense? Just get a couple of movements and learn them over and over and over to where now you got it in your head. If something happens, you're half knocked out, you can still do it. And that's how, from my experience, people are gonna stay alive and keep surviving. Because if not, if you, what happens a lot of times is someone will start learning stuff and then they'll try to learn so many things that now when the situation happens, they're kind of deer in the headlights. But you think about it with anything, like uh, when you first started fighting, right? What combination did you use? Well, jab cross, right? Oh, yeah. How many times did you throw a jab cross before you felt comfortable throwing your hooks and other things like that? Thousands, right? Oh, yeah. When I was wrestling, I wrestled Division One at the collegiate level, top 20 in the country. I did the same takedown all through high school. It was one type of throw. I always did over under, it was a trip. If that didn't work, then in college I learned how to expand on that. You look at guys wrestling in the Olympics, the most common takedown score is a single leg takedown. The first move everyone learns, that's at the Olympic level. You break down the Division I college matches, your most common takedowns aren't head and arm throws, lat drops, any of that. It's single leg, double leg, that's it. That's Did you take that training evolution with you when into the UFC? Yeah, uh, when I started fighting, man, my first few fights, I wasn't getting crazy knockouts with elbows and knees or anything. I'm hitting you a hundred times with a one-two, and if you can make it five minutes of that, like, deserve. Yeah. But I'm one-two, 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 and then it went back to my background, wrestling. They get tired of getting hit, so they want to close with me. Okay, now I'm going to take you for a ride, and I'm going to go over the same positions every time. My highlight reel isn't a bunch of different finishes. It's usually either top control, ground and pound, or the ref stopping the fight. It's, it's the same thing yeah. all the time. And I don't do a lot of fancy stuff. I don't go trying to learn. I don't reinvent the reel every fight. Usually those fancy things don't work, especially if the other person's trained. Yeah. Those fancy things don't work. So the key to all this stuff is learn a couple of moves over and over and over and over. Because it's not like you guys are training for your life right now as far as like training to get in the MMA cage. You're training for your life out of here. That's right. So if you know a couple of moves, like say that wide escape to the underhook, now you can get up and you can create that space to have time to go whatever weapon you need to defend yourself. Can everyone put their hands together for Eric and Juan? I appreciate them coming out. These two guys, again, you know, Eric spent time uh, as a sparring partner for Brock Lesnar, uh, several other heavyweights. Juan's fought in the UFC. I mean, these are 
you, this type of training is very rare to be able to get, and we're gonna continue this type of training. Uh, Eric's gonna beat the hell out of all of us when we're done, <laughs> right? So this is the West End area. And it like, you know, you check out this car on the right-hand side, this dude's been in and out of the back seat, what, like 16 times? It's obviously a wrecked vehicle, probably stolen, abandoned, right? No one's checking it out, no one really cares. This, at the end of the day, this business district is prime for retail theft, or actually um, petty theft, like smashing drabs, breaking windows, retail break-ins. And, you know, there's no eyes on the street. So we gotta be that district guard that's engaging everyone around, talking to people, getting names, saying hi. Uh, we're about to meet up with Chase. Chase is our asset on the ground right now who's gonna be patrolling tonight. Okay. Really squared away guy, former Marine, been deployed. Hopefully he'll be here in a second. Oh, What's awesome. up, Chase? How Everything good? Yeah. What's up, bro? Talking to Spence. Yeah, what'd they say? Um, I think Lola's already been out here. Spencer hit him up like four or five times. Yeah, I said that um, they brought water to him and everything. Yeah. So I just wanted to see if there was anything else they needed. Yeah, 2-4. Um, they're doing good, though. Okay, cool. Yep, not interested in moving right now. Awesome. <laughs> so we got a guy up here, obviously, mental health or meth psychosis. He's in yeah. some type of drug-induced state, right? Gotcha. So, Chase, what exactly is it that you're looking for when you're on patrol and stuff? Um, initially, at least for me, throughout the, the beginning of the shift, whenever it's still light out, is more of like the blatant obvious things people in doorways, things like that. Um, as as it sets, I start looking for more of like actual criminal activity, people breaking either doors, windows, throwing stuff against buildings. Um, we have it a lot down here where people that get mad, they'll throw something against a window and right. shatter it or break into a building. Um, like that. Yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, exactly, just like that. Um, there's a lot of storefronts down here, um, especially on the other side of this big building. Um, it's like the Multnomah Whiskey Library. Um, and a couple other stores, and a lot of those get broken into, unfortunately. Um, so mainly, mainly that throughout the night. Um, but we're also uh, in this district. It's uh, it's called the West End District, so it's a part of our Downtown Two district. Um, but people pay in specifically to basically guarantee that they're going to get hands on on their property. Gotcha. Um, so we photograph every single one of the property entrances, guaranteed every single night for those property owners. So it's a little bit different than some of the other districts where they're signing basically for like, hey, we're going to do our best. We'll make it out there if we can, but there's no guarantee we can, um, right. at least for most of the consortium districts. Um, but this one is like a, hey, we're going to get to you every single night. So guarantee. this is like a priority area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. yeah more or less. Gotcha. <laughs> Not that they're more important or someone else is less important, but they just pay in to make sure that they get hit every single night guaranteed gotcha. every single time. Um, at least hands on. Um, like throughout the night, I'll check every single one of their doors make sure it's secure. Mm -hmm. um, typically, I start doing that later in the night once everything's closed, because um, it's hard to keep up with every single business that's open. Right. Some, you know, some close at nine, some close at 10. Um, so I typically start that later. Uh, the biggest concerns down here are vandalism um, and a lot of like doorway loitering where people will stay in like the, uh, the little picnic areas outside of yeah. restaurants. Hold up. Um, so that's, especially later in the night, that's the biggest concern is people want to get either in shade or out of the yeah. weather, depending on. Um, if it's raining, those are a super big hot spot, obviously. It's raining, so they want to be dry. Right. 
And so what is your approach typically? Like if, if I know it's going to be different for like loitering versus vandalism, obviously, but, or how do you approach them to either make them stop or? Um, so each one's going to be a little bit different. Obviously you kind of feel out who you're right. talking to, right? If someone's already being sporadic, then you'll give them a few attempts like, Hey bro, I just can't have you here. Can I give you like 10 minutes maybe? And then come back in a little bit, right? right? Maybe they've calmed down. Um, if it's someone who's just like sleeping, you know, try to wake them up. Hey man, is there anything you need to maybe not be here? These property owners aren't a big fan of people hanging out here. Yeah. You know, you need some water, you need any clothing. Um, depending yeah. on the climate, like during winter, it's a lot It's a lot easier to be like, hey bro, we have some blankets. Is there any way I can give you a blanket? Like, do you need a blanket? It's super cold out. Or do you need a jacket? Like, you'll see people walking around without shoes on and there's yeah. snow on the ground. It's like, hey man, can I give you some shoes? And in turn, can you just not hang out on this building for me? Right. Because they just don't like it here. And I can hook you up, make sure that, you know, everyone's happy, basically. Yeah. And y'all, you get what you need. The property owner's happy. Um, and then, worst case, I mean, we do most of the buildings down here. So I'll probably end up seeing them again. Um, right. So you build the relationship and it makes it a lot easier because we're seeing the same people every night. Um, it's yeah. not like you're moving, you know, five different people every night. Um, so you have to build the relationship and make it easier to approach that person the next day. Um, yeah, if definitely. you're hostile, then hostility continues. You're friendly. Friendliness continues. In theory. Well said. Yeah. In theory. In theory, yeah. No, that's all. Which it, it works. I mean, there's always, you know, people can be drug induced. There could be another, you know, other things going on. But right. yeah. Yeah, and behavior changes. I mean, you know, you'll talk to a, a guy one day who's like super respectful, super nice, and the next day he's calling you every belligerent name he can think of. Um, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Uh, and then the next time you see him, he won't even remember you from the first two contacts. You're just another new guy, and he's saying, hey. Uh, yeah. So it really depends. Some of, some of the, uh, some of the, our contacts will remember us very much so specifically um, for yep, yep. forever. I mean, since we've right. started, people are like, hey, it's Echelon. Like, we've known you guys since you came to the city. Uh, and then other people will talk to every day and they'll never remember us right. day to day. So do so. you find that, you know, simply since you guys have been here a while and there are some like repeat people that you run into all the time that you have built that rapport with, does it make it easier in a sense when there's new people? Do they kind of spread the word about you guys? To yeah, um, most people have been like, oh, I've heard about you. Um, you know, via being in uh, like larger encampments or just in, you know, making friends on the street, whatever it may right. be, where they're like, hey, you guys are the ones that, you know, can offer resources, you have water, you know, like we've heard a lot of things about you. Um, so it typically, I mean, even, even they were like, oh, Echelon, I've heard of you guys, you guys are super nice. Um, and yeah. I don't know who's contacted them outside of Loa, um, as far as like actual just security, um, but that's my first time talking to them. Yeah. They're, you know, already like, oh, well, we know you guys. Like, right. um, so most of the time, especially in the downtown region and like Old Town, they're very familiar. Um, gotcha. And at least most of the people are like, hey, here's the companies to watch out for. Here's the yeah, companies right. to not, not worry about or not to be too concerned about as far as being aggressive or like disrespectful, things right. like that. So uh, it, really, it really does work out in our favor to take things in a, a different way. Right, you guys kind of lead with compassion. Lead yeah, with humanity, man, and humanity. Like at it. the end of the day, most people that do any job are a few paychecks away from being there to themselves. Yeah, if you don't, right. If you don't think about it that way, that's right. Like that, that's reality. Like yeah. I make a good bit of money. I'm the disabled veteran, so I have multiple incomes coming in. I go to school, and still, it's like two, three months without pay. I could be right there in a tent, on, you know, myself. Yeah. So, right. um, it's really just breaking it down and, and just humbling yourself and realizing that, like, yeah. at the end of the day, we, I don't know their struggles. I know the struggles I've went through, and I could have been there via those struggles yeah. or new struggles that may come down the road. So, right. Um, that's at least the way I take it. Oh, yeah. Neat. Most of our practice, practices, I'd say, are are trauma informed. 
I mean, I would, you know, I've been homeless as a child and an adult, and being homeless causes PTSD. It causes mental illness, right? Short-term yeah. and long-term, depending on how long you're homeless. And, and so you have to take that approach. There is no other approach. If, if, we were to, if we were to like get angry and make someone, get someone upset on a property, they would just come back and retaliate. They'd break the window. Right. They'd throw a rock through the window. Yep. Which and happened. And that's gonna upset the client. Yeah. Right? And, and so that, you have to really have that relationship. Yeah, exactly. and, that, and that is yeah. how, like, even uh, even earlier a guy passed and he was like, I hate this city because there's two people sitting at our building that you guys were doing the uh, the training at. Um, there were two guys sitting on the edge of the building and someone in a vehicle drove by and was like, I fucking hate this city. And it's like, are you doing anything to make it better? Or right. do you just yeah, drive right. through and say, I hate this fucking city because people are down and out? Like, yeah. uh, stop kicking people while they're down and maybe give them a fucking hand, right. in theory. <laughs> yeah, right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's how it's looked at a lot, unfortunately, is like, Oh, they're pests, right? They're less than us. Right. But like yeah. they're human beings who went through shit and are now where they are. Yeah. And the only way they get better is by giving shit and trying. Exactly. Uh, not by throwing your ass in the air and saying like, yep. "Oh, but well, they do drugs, they can't get better." Like I know plenty of people who've been clean and sober after doing. That's right. You know, methamphetamines, heroin. For years. Yeah, years, fifteen years. years, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah. "Fuck this, I want something different." But then some form of encouragement happened, support. Do you know like, Hannah in Old Town? Uh, heard the name. Yeah, she. We took her to Hooper Detox this morning. We got her paperwork done yesterday, got her a bed yesterday, and then took her today. Because when you check into detox, you got to have your bed squared away. Yeah. Or they'll just kick you out and you'll be back on the streets. And she's been, she's been in Old Town for two years. Using every day, two years. And so... All it takes is a little bit of someone giving a shit, supporting a little bit, and oh, yeah. you can overcome anything. It's a, it's a mindset. But if you don't have a reason to have that mindset... That's right. You're not going to make that mindset. So... Right. That's right. Um, at least that's how that's how I see it and go about it. Like, very rarely do I have poor contacts. Um, typically, it's I mean it's on whoever I'm contacting. If they're already being sporadic um, or radical behavior, then I'm just like, all right, bro, I'll, I'll see you later, right? Like if I show up to a door and some dude's like, I'll fucking kill you. Stop talking to me. Cool. I'm just gonna walk away. Like, if you're just sitting in a doorway, you're not breaking in, you're not doing anything. I'm like, yeah, I'm just gonna walk away. I'll yeah. come back in 30 minutes and be like, hey, bro, you good now? No, you're still gonna kill me. Cool. And then I'll just walk yeah. away. Yeah. Like worst case, I'll give him a few attempts. If he doesn't calm down, then we'll get an additional out, and we'll have to get him to move eventually. But it's like, it's not really a rush thing. A lot of companies have like the ego of like, you can't tell me no, you're gonna move right now. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, that's seen throughout law enforcement worldwide of like, no. You're gonna do what you're told now, but like right. we're not really telling. It's more like a hey, bro, it's do more you about, mind? Yeah, is right. there a way that we can like have some rapport here, some 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 friendliness, right. and, and make y'all are shifting, happy. y'all shifting it more so from compliance to coordination. Yeah, yeah. that's a really big deal. Right? We we like to tell people we were doing this in training earlier. Uh, know what you know, and understand when when you don't know something. Yep. Right. Number two, it's okay to walk away. Because yeah. you don't have a duty to act. Yeah. I mean, if someone's getting beat up, there's a person's crime, right? But it's okay to walk away. Yeah. We're not we're not law enforcement. Yep. Some we don't have a duty to act. Being angry, walk away. Yeah. And the third thing is, every person that works at Echelon is more important than Echelon. Yeah. Chase and his family, they're more important than my company. Right. And they know that. I want him to be safe. Right. Because if, if we believe about safety, his safety should come first. Yeah. And so when he needs to walk away, he needs to walk away. I want to say at the end of the day, and you can always put in the report, like due to the individual's hostility and like aggressive nature, 
I could not get him to move and decided to, yeah. to walk away for safety purposes. And like, if a client has a problem with that, then like, that's something above my pay grade. Um, right. But it's also like, most of the time they're gonna be like, that's fair. We don't think you should get stabbed because someone was in our doorway either. Like yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, it's just how it works. So lead on bro. All right. Typically, um, yeah. at least later throughout the night, um, we have a, a few parking lots and things that we have to go to, um, and that's where you'll see more of like the organized crime, if you will. Um, <laughs> for this right. district, we used to have the Fifth and Taylor parking garage, which I believe is still ours. Um, yeah. And yeah, so we'll have to we'll have to go over there at some point um, this night. Four times we go there, um, and they have a lot of like automotive break-ins. Uh, and most people are like, oh, well, that's just, it's transient activity. It's, it's never, you know, like actual criminals, but they'll hit like eight cars in 40 seconds. Yeah, yeah. it's their um, professional Yeah, and, and drive out in a $70,000 car. Yeah. So it's like, that's like actual <laughs> yeah. criminal activity. It's not just like, yeah. oh, some guy on a bike rode in, broke a window, stole right. a coat, and, right. and rode out. Like, does that happen? Yes, typically you'll find one broken window if that happens, yep. right? They went in, they saw something they liked, they grabbed it, they left. Um, I've had my vehicle broken into while living down here. I used to live at 12th and Jefferson, um, and they stole a hoodie in July. I don't, yeah, um, so <laughs> nice. it, it does. The little things do happen. Um, it's just a nice hoodie, man. You know? Yeah. How, however, the biggest things that I would say we notice, especially um, you know, one of our places, the the River Place Marina, um, there's parking garages there. It's super hard in the summer because the garages are packed full. Everyone's drinking. Out, out having a good time. No one's paying attention to what's going on in the garages. And it's normally they have music playing, it's super loud. So you can go in and hit, you know, eight cars and be out in, you know, a minute or two and steal all of these people who are staying down at the, the river place. Um, that's a, they have a couple hotels down there, a couple condos, um, and people just steal everything out of their car. Um, and that's probably one of the most upsetting things. Like you'll see like two car seats in the back and like a bunch yeah. of kids full of strung everywhere and you're like come on yeah. like don't don't hit the family car right um but I, I mean i've seen a car getting broken into for a bag of talkies yeah, yeah it's always very something. Uh, any, anywhere specific you want to head no man we're on your patrol that works that works yeah we'll, we'll run back this way all right cool. <laughs> the uh the 511 garage which is down a couple blocks and then over to the right a couple blocks um it's probably our biggest hot spot um we've there was somebody who had like multiple guns in their vehicle. Jeez. They got broken into and they left the guns and ammo. That's crazy. So that was super weird to me. Uh, That's crazy. I was like, you look at it and there's just like handguns in, in their bags <laughs> just sitting in there. And it's like, why are you, why are you leave, one, leaving them out? And two, leaving them right? Because people see cameras in the garage yeah. and they assume cameras mean no one's going to break into it. Yeah. But yeah. like, you can put anything on your face and then yeah. the camera can't tell who you are. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel like that's kind of missed a little bit is people don't understand that that is missed a lot yeah and it's not like portland doesn't have the capabilities to prosecute everyone that breaks into a car right um, and that that's the thing is like you you would see them walking down the street and be like oh they're transients but like they're literally mm -hmm. coordinating the whole auto break-in and and auto theft at that point i mean it's not yeah. even just a break-in like at so that point on, your goal on is something to, like that you would apprehend them and hold them until the cops got there yeah or? um so Apprehend, weird word, arrest. Uh, right. So security can't detain. Like law enforcement can detain you for yep, questioning. Yep. Right. We cannot, it's illegal. Because um, a detain is 
literally you have to have a law enforcement license in order to detain somebody. Um, so even like for citizens arrest, which is what we make, um, but even for you, right? If you just had cuffs on you and you saw someone breaking into a vehicle, you would citizens arrest them, which is basically just, hey, you're under arrest, and then going through the motions of cuffing them. Um, and then you would just call law enforcement and say, That's hey, right. I have one in custody. I arrested them for this. Um, are y'all gonna send an officer out to take over? Um, and then at that point, the officers would come, put on their own cuffs, give you yours back. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes, depending on what what it is, where you're at, um, and how busy law enforcement are, sometimes they'll just tell you to cut them loose. So yeah, you'll just pop off the cuffs. And yeah, that happens a lot. Um, wow, that happens a lot, bro. Um, which <laughs> which typically, like, right, you you catch someone breaking into a car and you arrest them, and they're dealing with four homicides, they're just gonna tell you to let them go. Right, because um, it happens in summer, you'll hear a lot of gunshots, and the cops are way too busy to deal with someone breaking into a car, right. which is unfortunate for whoever's car it was. But it is just the reality of reality. Lack, lack of law enforcement, um, yep. people wanting to do the job in general, um, and just the raised amount of crime that is in the area. Um, so yeah. it's not directly on like the work ethic of the officers or anything. Yeah. Um, we've called for the domestic disputes. We're like, yeah, we just can't, we can't make it out. Like we're too short on officers, and we have too much going on. Like we just had an armed robbery that we're on our way to, so we can't make it yeah. to a domestic yeah. dispute. Um, so, and that's a big issue at um, at some of the like apartment complexes that we have. Right. Um, is you'll try to do your best, and then explaining that to the tenant of like, hey. There's not anything I can do, or Another, even to the person that calls, right, the neighbor above or below them, yeah. um, and being like, "Hey, I'm sorry that you're gonna have to hear that happening. I, there's <laughs> right. nothing I can do about it." Um, so that's that's one of the unfortunate aspects uh, is you can't can't handle every situation. Sometimes you just yeah. you just gotta let it go. Private citizens, when they don't do the right thing, can sometimes commit a crime, but it's not like a civil rights violation. Yeah. So. When you have, like, when you're operating under law enforcement thing, you can violate civil rights, but you guys can, so. Exactly. That means you guys have to be pretty knowledgeable on yeah. what you can and can't do. Really. Yeah, very yeah. much so, yeah. Um, There's a lot of knowledge required. We, we, which we, we cover a lot throughout, like, our training scenarios that we do. Uh, like, our most recent training scenario was based off of a, um, a tent resident who goes to grab their gun whenever you like ask them you know hey is there any way you can move the tent it's on private property they're like yeah no worries i didn't know it was private property and then they're going to grab their gun to just waistband it yeah. to get out so they can drag their tent right yeah perfectly acceptable i'm not gonna freak out he has a gun i have a gun right, right. he's not grabbing it and being aggressive he's exactly. just grabbing it exactly. waistbanding it and like that's a hundred percent his constitutional right to have a firearm and defend himself and i'm not gonna be like hey no put that down right, right. like we what and we kind of let people operate on their own. There's never a right answer, right, if you right. will. As long as the job gets done adequately, we're right. never gonna be like, hey bro, why'd you do it this way? You could do it this way. Um, yeah. The, the end goal is all the same. How you get there isn't necessarily that important. As long as you're, you know, following the biggest things at Echelon, which is just, you know, not breaking laws, being ethical, right. being moral. It's super, super simple, honestly. Like at the end of the day, it's a very easy job if you just actually care about people that's right i know people bring their families down here people live here yeah. i would like to see change because i don't want to bring my seven month old daughter down no, here no. and right. have fentanyl smoke blowing in her mouth you know what i mean yeah. but i also think she should be able to experience portland because it is a great city overall yeah it just it's has it's rough edges <laughs> you can be the change you want to see in the world yeah you can at least try right worst case you try be able to improve um, whatever right. that's my thing is I, I always try to improve whatever community i'm a part of right yep, so like absolutely when I move 
to Albuquerque from Houston. I didn't even know the education system was as bad as it is out there. But and Albuquerque's a place too. Yeah, so I it's ended up. Yeah. I ended up like working in behavioral health for a little bit and okay. switched over to teaching. And as I'm teaching, all I'm hearing is how bad education is out there. I was like, okay, well, we can change it, so let's go change it, you know? And so, exactly. Uh, that's all you can do as long as you're applying your best effort towards the improvement of whatever community you're a part of. It's going to have an effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, know? some, some uh, point, even at, at a small level. I mean, if you affect 1% of the, you know, the houseless population in a positive manner, like that's 1% that weren't affected before right, you got there. Right. And that's the one thing I've noticed, like, they like a lot of like transients, homeless, uh, houseless don't, don't have a lot of like support in any, in any aspect, right? right? From, from government mm -hmm. to like friends to, to anything. Family. They, yeah, family, like yep. a lot of them are like, all oh, my family's dead or abandoned me or, you know, yeah. said there'll be family when I cut my habit. But it's like, that's how you cut a habit or an addiction is by having support from family, friends, so on and so forth. Like, you know, you're not gonna just do that shit on your own. Most people are a few paychecks away, especially in Portland. Like, it rents like two grand average and yeah. most people are making 25 ish dollars an hour like you're yeah, not living yeah. comfortably genuinely right. like some people you're are busting not. your butt to come yeah. home maybe yeah, enjoy paycheck that to paycheck for, maybe to enjoy it for two hours each day before you pass out yeah, and get right. ready to go bust your ass yeah. again man. so and, and to have the mentality of like i could that could never be me i could never be homeless and on drugs like you you can become homeless and then end up on drugs because more shit happens when you're homeless like, yeah. yeah, you may be safe in your little castle somewhere, but <laughs> when you're on the street and much more like vulnerable to things that are happening, it's yeah. a lot easier to have problems that lead to an addiction. Right. Um, like there's a lot of unfortunate things that happen um, to individuals on the street. Yeah. So. Well, we got to roll. Yeah. I appreciate us letting you drive or letting us drive with you, man. I don't. I don't Seriously, man. Good times. You as well, buddy. How's that? What's the What's the next plan? Um. We're pretty much done. We gotta walk this way though.